Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Hafnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Monmouth Moms podcast, part of the Monmouth Moms Network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mammoth Moms podcast. We're here today at Bell Works on another gloomy summer day. Um, I think I talked about this last time, but the summer has just been very strange with like the air quality and this just very um, like rainy summer we've had. It's been strange. Um, so I'm, but I'm sad that it's almost over because then it'll be back to school and all the things. Right, my daughter wants to sign up for like. 17 extracurricular activities, which is funny. My son, when he was growing up, I had to like, like beg him to sign up for basketball or anything. He did Cub Scouts for a long time, but like, and then he got into drama a little bit, but like my daughter will say yes to anything. She's like, yo, chess club? Sure. Yeah. Um, like, want to do karate? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kate, she, how old are your children? Um, so my daughter's eight. My son is nineteen. So it's, you know, different. I'm in a different worlds with both of them. But um, yeah, it's funny. So we're trying to narrow down what we're doing. I think we've narrowed it down to tennis. Um, at, like she wants to do like an she did like an acting camp over the summer. She wants to take some classes at the um, at, shout out to Middletown Art Center. This uh, great. I love it there. They're uh, they did really great programs. So I think we're gonna go there and then also choir, which she does at school, and cheer, which she does at school. So four things. But I only have one little one that I'm like running around. I don't have like multiple. So I think it'll be somewhat manageable, but also pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that is, uh, so I'm going to enjoy the next, like, I, we have like two weeks kind of left, like one weekend and then Hopefully, Labor Day will be nice, and then we're going to get into the, the thick of all things routine, right? Um, but today, um, our family health care series um, returns with Hackensack Meridian uh, Children's Health, and a really important topic today, we're going to be talking about all things breastfeeding. Thank you so much to Casey Leahy uh, for joining us today. Um, she's a doctor-prepared nurse with 24 years of maternal child health experience. Casey is the clinical program manager at Lactate. Service of lactation services at Jersey Shore Medical um, Jersey Shore University Medical Center. I know it's a <laughs> a designated baby friendly hospital facility and the clinical director for this center of breastfeeding uh, with locations in Neptune and Jackson. Um, so many interesting things that we can talk about today. I'm really excited um, talk about my own experience with breastfeeding. Um, um, the, all the resources available that we were just chatting just briefly, um, you know, before we got started about um, these support groups for for women who are breastfeeding, and um, probably probably things I wish I'd you know even I don't know if they existed back when I first had my son, you know, twenty almost twenty years ago, um, and the um, you know the, becoming a parent I think is is not be, for the faint-hearted not for the faint-hearted it can be a little you know i don't know if the correct word is jarring but um it can be a little like you know um surprising right like how, what to expect right and breastfeeding i think adds a, another element of um you know it can be easy for some women but it's also can be really challenging for others in my experience it was mostly challenging and 
Um, it's something that, you know, you kind of want to do for, you know, obviously for your child, right? Like you feel like, I don't know, I felt like I was like failing them if I wasn't nursing them because um, of what you were told and what you read and stuff like that. So really excited to delve into all things breastfeeding today. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got into, um, you know, uh, the services at, at Hackensack and what you do at the center. Sure. Um, so I started my career in uh, labor and delivery at Jersey Shore, and I quickly learned that my favorite part about nursing is really the education piece. I like to sit with my patients. I like to chat, want to hear all about them. Um, and I really want to offer that extra support and education that, that they need. Because mm -hmm. you pointed out, becoming a parent, we prepare so much for the delivery, but the work is really after the, the baby's here. And it can be very overwhelming. Yes. Um, that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> Not jarring. <laughs> overwhelming is yes. a better description. So breastfeeding is natural, but it's a learned behavior. So taking a class and reading a book and trying to do all the homework before the baby arrives is one thing. But the learning on the job is something that it's really hard for parents to wrap their head around um, because under the very best of circumstances, it can be challenging. And then you throw in those traditional booby traps and, and things that um, new parents may face like concerns about milk supply or latching issues or painful experiences. Um, and it really... it they, Parents need that extra support and help in order to succeed. Yeah, right. Um, and also, you know, add in, you know, working moms, right, that have to go back to work and then, um, you know, pumping and just like all of the... A whole all, other layer. It's another okay. layer, right? And uh, it's not, like you said, it's not for the faint of heart. So um, tell me, um, what are the what are the health benefits for like breastfeeding overall, right? And you okay. mentioned that there's new guidelines now in terms of the length of time that is suggested that you do breastfeed your children. And also, is it better if you can even do, like I know that colostrum is like known to be like like the, it's like gold, like liquid gold, right? Um, but it, like, is there, you know, if you could at least do that for a month, is that better? And like, how does it all work in terms of, you know, from a nutritional standpoint for your child? Really good questions. So maybe I'll just start with um, any breastfeeding is helpful, mm -hmm. right? We don't have to put time limits on it. We don't have to put amounts. Um, it's not an all or nothing scenario. So helping families figure out what's going to be best for them mm -hmm. and how they want to feed their infants is really important. Most families make the decision on how they plan on feeding their babies during pregnancy prior to birth. And they have, um, I'm going to call it a, a, an infant feeding plan in mind when they come into the hospital. And a lot of times that plan is based on recommendations. So the current recommendations for breastfeeding is that it's recognized as the optimal form of nutrition for infants worldwide. And as of uh, last summer in June of 2022, the American Academy of Pediatrics updated their policy to highlight that breastfeeding exclusivity for the first six months of life is still recommended, but the continuation was moved from one to two years, which was a significant change here in the United States. The rest of the world had always had that two-year stipulation through the World Health Organization um, guidelines, but the U.S. had updated that policy just last year, and I think it's really surprising for parents when they hear two years um, because it, they're unfamiliar with that guideline. And more importantly, the idea of navigating back to work or back to school and all the other challenges that they face, um, it makes that recommendation feel unattainable for some families. Well, I'd imagine, too, I don't know what the statistics are, but I would gather that um, outside of the U.S., the maternity leaves are um, significantly longer and is it like across the board? I mean, I know it's in many. It's like, not across the board, but you highlight like, you know, we have this recommendation, but we don't have those resources in place for families to succeed, like extended parental leave, family leave. Right. Um, easy navigating back to work. We are moving in the right direction. There's a lot of positive legislation that's come out over the last few years, particularly particularly here in New Jersey. New Jersey is kind of ahead of a lot of other states. Oh, that's great. So we um, breastfeeding is a protective class here in New Jersey. We have a really strong return to workplace 
uh, legislation that covers families who are pumping at work. Uh, families who return to work are protected for however, however many times they need to pump and however long they need to pump at work. And there's no age stipulation. Oh. And it also protects all families, all parents, when they return to work, regardless of their workplace, as long as um, it's not an undue hardship for a smaller business okay. is really the, the language there. So it's exciting um, to have all these things. New Jersey passed, um, New Jersey, um, New Jersey passed a New Jersey strategic breastfeeding plan. Last year, my gosh, that's a tongue twister. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and uh, it's revolutionary because it's the, we're the first state to have a breastfeeding strategic plan. And the overall goal of this plan for the next five years is to normalize breastfeeding for families, to line up those resources, connect with community partners so that everyone can better support families here. Oh, wow. So it, I'm excited about that. It was a partnership to put the plan together through the Department of Health, um, the Central um, Central Jersey Family Health Consortium, and the New Jersey Breastfeeding Coalition. Okay. And they brought together stakeholders throughout the state, um, healthcare providers, community health workers, doulas, physicians, nurses, insurance providers. So they brought everyone to the table to kind of look at what we have now and what we're doing and how can we better serve everyone. Okay. So that's exciting. It is. So go, going back to the, what you had originally asked, I'm sorry, I can no, no, easily yeah. deviate here. So <laughs> there's a lot of information. Rain me in when I do that. Um, the recommendations are out there and the health benefits are well recognized. So for infants, the benefits include uh, better immunity, a lower risk of um, GI issues for lifelong benefits for that, lower risks of overweight and obesity, um, lower risk of allergies and infections, lower risk of childhood leuke leukemia and lymphoma. Wow. And that's a big one. And, you know, we just came off the global pandemic here with, you know, COVID still in our community. We're starting to see a little bit of a rise again. Mm -hmm. um, but families, uh, infants who receive breast milk, it's almost like they get a passive immunity anytime they get any amount of breast milk. So it's always beneficial. And then the benefits for mom are, are good, too. For mothers, there's a lower risk of breast and ovarian cancer that's dose-dependent. Dose so the more they do and the longer they do, the more protected they are. There's also a lower risk of type 2 diabetes for women who breastfeed. And there's a lower risk of type 1 diabetes for babies who are breastfed. Oh, wow. So um, it's exciting stuff. Is it true, too, that you lose the baby weight faster from nursing, or is that not always the case? That's what they like to say. Yeah, I know. I, th I found that, I think. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I didn't know if that was like a. a actual fact. <laughs> I think for some women that that they will tout that as a benefit and others are maybe disappointed when that right. doesn't happen. So I, I hate to promise anyone that right. um, outcome. <laughs> yeah, but it does make you ravenous because you're just depleting like, every, you know, they're sucking it all out Lots of you. Of extra energy loads, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally. So I'll talk about my own experience nursing. Um, I was a young mom, as my listeners all know. Um, so I had my son um, was like almost 20 and was very, I was very, con not concerned, but I was very dedicated to not being that like quintessential, like young mom, right? So I want to do all the right things, right? I, you know, we got our own place. We got married. We were young and we, um, I wanted to nurse. I didn't want any help. I didn't want to say that I got any help. Um, and in hindsight, I think that's just being motherhood and like having that, like, that attitude, like, oh, I can do this and I, I, I don't need anyone to, you know, like to help me and stuff. So, um, I didn't know that at the time. So I remember my son was, um, born and he was jaundice. So um, I didn't realize like how difficult, you know, nursing was going to be. So like him not latching and then he, but we, we were di discharged from the hospital right back into the hospital for two days. And he's like in the, that land, that 
UV lamp. Phototherapy. Right, right yeah. <laughs> Which was really traumatic to me, you know, as a new parent because they're, you know, they want to be swaddled, but they can't be because they need the light. So they're screaming the whole time. It was really not a fun day. So um, It's very stressful. Yeah. And then um, when he was about four weeks old, he developed like colic. So he was very colicky and screamed his head off. And it was really challenging because it, you know, you kind of, you don't, 20, I don't know. I think maybe there's probably been a lot of advancements since, th since then, but like everyone kept telling me it was something I was eating, right? And something that was in my breast milk, but I was like so um, concerned about giving up, like nursing him, even though it was like difficult. I, um, we talked a little about this before, but um, I am not like a big breasted woman. And I always thought that it was like, because I couldn't produce enough milk because like my boobs weren't big enough. So there was all these things and I'm reading books and the internet wasn't like how it is now. So I'm like reading and like what to expect or whatever book I got. That book is still popular today. <laughs> and then calling the doctor every five seconds. It was a lot, you know, um, and I made it to like five months with him of nursing, but then like started introducing formula. And I did feel like I had not failed him, but like I'd failed like breastfeeding for sure. Um, but I think because he finally, like at that mark started like not being as colicky and was like, you know, kind of becoming like more, um, uh, you know, mobile and, and crawling and stuff like that. So it became a bit easier and then he was, you know, sleeping better. So uh, there was a lot of reasons like why I, I went to the formula. Um, but what do you tell parents when they're kind of in that situation? I'm sure you've heard this story in multiple iterations, you know, over the years. So what would you have said to me? And like, what, you know, can you say to parents that are going through this right now um, and, you know, frustrated and uh, struggling through it? <laughs> I have two things that I'm thinking of. The first is you know, a lot of times when I'm out in the community, when people hear what I do for a living, um, I do hear a lot of breastfeeding journey stories. And sometimes they'll it'll be in in very public places or mm -hmm. at events that have nothing to do with healthcare or breastfeeding. And uh, usually, what I like to remind families after they've shared a story, and I'm going to say the same thing to you: you might not have had all the resources that you need uh, needed at that time to make decisions that um, that could have been led to a different outcome. Right, for sure. So I want to highlight what we do at Jersey Shore. We've got our Center for Breastfeeding. We're located in Hope Tower, which is a building right next to Jersey Shore. And we also have a location in Jackson. But my partner, Linda Carroll, and I, um, we're lactation consultants. We're nurses. Mm -hmm. Helping families navigate the, that journey is important. It's not a definitive science. Like even now, in hindsight, I can't say, oh, well, it was X, Y, or Z that you were dealing with. And if you had done... Right. A, B, and C, then everything would have been perfect because it would have been a work in progress. We would have had to look to see, are you comfortable? Is the baby comfortable? What do we think is going on? Sometimes that reflux-like behavior, that colicky behavior you, you described can have different root causes or contributors. So it sometimes can be a mother with a larger supply or a forceful milk ejection reflex. It could just be normal reflux behavior for an infant and if it's progressing to the point where the baby isn't gaining weight appropriately or is uncomfortable or or in pain then we would have to consider medical management of reflux situations and it could also be um you had mentioned allergies allergies are intolerances related to different um food items mm -hmm. so sometimes when a mother eats may influence the baby. We don't start off telling families to eliminate or avoid any foods because, you know, that that would be overkill. That's too much. But if we have a baby who's showing symptoms, then we put our detective hats on and we try to figure out what might be the causes of these symptoms and drill down to see what's going to be most effective for that family. So it's that ongoing work with a with um, the family to identify what we think are the issues and the possible causes and then see them through until there's resolution. Okay. And that's really important for new families. Like totally. you don't want to feel like you're on your own. Your pediatrician, of course, is always available. Um, our pediatricians in Monmouth and Ocean County are really wonderful. They're available 24-7. But when you've got these questions about infant feeding, it's nice to have um, some other people on your team, I guess. Yeah. And it's more specific too. Like this is what you 
you do, right? So you've yeah. seen, you've heard it all and seen it all, and you know you know exactly kind of where to point them in the right direction. Um, let's talk about supply. Um, I've heard. I don't even really recall what I did. I want to say maybe if there was something that I read that you could take, I probably took like a supplement or something. Um, but is that true? You know, we are like a, a society now where I think we focus more on hydration, but I think 20 years ago we were not. And I don't recall ever like carrying a Stanley cup like I am today around with me with water. Um, and I definitely was not consuming water, you know, to the, to the length that I do now. Does that... Um, does that impact your uh, milk supply, um, staying hydrated? And also, like, if you don't have, what are the factors that would cause you not having a good supply and why is there, like, do supplements work or is it all kind of, you know, all a big scam, the things that you can buy online? I asked you like 70 questions. So I know, I'm, I'm, I'm making a little list because I, I'm, I'm going to forget. Um, so maybe I'll just start with, I think the number one reason why families um, introduce formula supplementation earlier than intended, earlier than they wanted, is because of a perceived milk supply issue. Right. Um, sometimes, I, I don't think in my experience working with family, breastfeeding families for the last 25 years, I don't think I've ever met a family or a mother who hasn't at one point expressed a concern about her own milk supply. And um, I think that's that's um, worth acknowledging, right? Like, it doesn't matter what size your you mentioned yeah. your size of breast before. You know, the milk storage capacity and mother's make milking uh, capability is different uh, from mother to mother. But there's very few mothers that have medical reasons on why they wouldn't make a full milk supply. Mm -hmm. Milk production is based on milk removal. So if we have a baby that's feeding effectively and that's able to feed at the breast, or we're utilizing a pump if um, to express or remove the milk from the breast, most mothers will be able to make a full milk supply. Um, the idea of hydration is interesting, and I will say research doesn't support um, that hydration has an influence on milk supply. Okay. And they've dived into it a lot. You know, how much should we be drinking? If we're just talking about just people in general, you'll get a lot of different opinions when you dive down that rabbit hole. So the current recommendations are to drink to satisfy thirst. The idea of measured amounts has, you know, um, not been evidence-based supported. Okay. Anecdotally, I've met tons of mothers who will say when I'm feeling, you know, like under the weather, I'm feeling kind of down. If I'm not taking care of myself, I find that if I push a lot of fluids that um, things seem to improve and my milk supply seems to improve. And I'm certainly not going to argue with totally. any mother who yeah. says that to me. So, I mean, hydration, um, even like during pregnancy, you know, has uh, impacts a lot of, of like complications, I believe, too. Right. You can um, get uterine contractions if you're dehydrated. We're coming off of this really hot and humid summer where the you know weather temperatures are so high, right? So for dehydrated um, pregnant uh, women, they are more likely to get contractions. So okay. um, yeah, keeping themselves hydrated in the heat. So I think overall, when we just talk about humans, we could all probably drink more water. Sure. But in regards to breastfeeding, there's not a certain amount that I would recommend other than to say, just keep yourself well hydrated. And gotcha. carrying around your water bottle yeah. is, is good. It's good. It can't hurt, right? Can't hurt. Okay. And then the other um, piece of what you had mentioned was when you do have a lower supply or you have a supply issue or you're concerned, you know, what do you do about that? So first, if I would just open with... If you're a breastfeeding parent and you're worried about supply and your baby's gaining weight appropriately, um, I would say everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> if you do have a supply issue, um, finding out why you have that supply issue is, is a good first step so that then you can course correct. So if the baby's not feeding effectively, um, we can work on latch and positioning and milk transfer at the breast and see if we can improve that. Consultations with a lactation consultant often involve a weighted feed where we'll go ahead and weigh the baby um, before and after feeding, even during the feeding, and see how much milk they're actually transferring. And then we know how much milk a baby should be transferring, so we've got that expectation in place. Okay. So if there's a disconnect, we can identify that and then work on strategies to uh, care plan that will course correct for that family. Okay. 
other um, substances like lactogenic foods, foods that are thought to increase milk supply, or herbal supplements, which we call galactagogues, um, herbal supplements that are thought to increase milk supply, are not never uh, are not evidence-based, but again, anecdotally, we've got a lot of parents who will say if they eat a lot of oatmeal, um, oatmeal is thought to be a lactogenic food, that it can positively affect their milk supply. Or if they use um, herbal supplements that traditionally in many cultures have thought to been helpful, mm -hmm. that they have a positive impact on their supply. When it comes to the herbal supplements, there are some health risks um, depending on the mother's past medical or surgical history. So it's always good to talk to a lactation consultant or the pediatrician if you have concerns. Interesting. Okay. And your obstetrician too. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have left them out. Aww. Obstetrician and midwife. Okay. Oh, I didn't even think that that you would reach out to them. That's interesting. It's when it comes to breastfeeding, it's kind of hard. Like traditionally, who do you reach out to? Right, your pediatrician's in charge of the baby, the obstetrician's in charge of the mother. So sometimes parents, when they have a breastfeeding question, they're not sure who to ask. And I'm going to say you can ask both of them. Oh. Um, you know, we're, uh, Jersey Shore is a baby-friendly hospital. We've been baby-friendly since 2012. So our providers and our nursing and nursing staff, they've all been trained on infant feeding and managing feeding-related issues. Um, so they're great resources for any family who needs additional help, as well as your uh, community uh, lactation consultants. Okay. Um, let's talk about pumping. Okay. So I recall, well, two things. One, I recall, um, you know, having a newborn, if you, one kid, two kids, five kids, you know, it's exhausting. So I recall pumping initially just to have, you know, the, the ability to sleep a little bit more and to have my partner, you know, feed the baby. Um, and then also, you know, just with working or just not, you know, being accessible, right. to the baby, um, that to have like the supply, right. Of, of breast milk. Um, but that also was challenging to me because I felt like if I pumped, then that was like my supply. And I know you're supposed to like, you're just going to, you're supposed to keep doing it. So that way your body, like, I guess, builds up the, the amount that you think, but then it would like backfire because then I was like pumping more, but not, I wasn't, I wasn't on a schedule, right. I guess that's kind of maybe what the problem was. Um, so the supply was like an issue because if I pumped, then like I didn't have enough for him, like when I just wanted to nurse him. Um, so um, what do you tell moms like when they're, is that a common thing that you hear? Um, and then also um, pumping, at the time, I think I like rented a pump. Like a, it was like through my insurance. I don't know if they do that We've anymore. Come along, okay. Um, it was like, and it was like the best one. It was like Modella, I think it was called, and it was like the best one. It was like the only one that actually even works. Because the rest of them were like that, like squeezy thing. You know, like, it was like a manual one. They have totally changed. <laughs> Kate. Um, so I, um, yeah, I'm just curious, like you know how it all works now. Yeah. Really aging myself over here. Oh, it makes me smile. <laughs> when I had my first. Um, in the hospital, they gave the Medela hand pump. It used to be. That's it, what they gave was, me too. I called it the breast masher. It had this like long handle and you kind of cram it onto your breast and it, it was not a fun tool. Um, since 2012, the, when the ACA, the Affordable Care Act went into effect, um, uh, breastfeeding became part of the preventative women's health um, stipulations for the ACA. Okay. And the inclusion for a double electric breast pump for families was part of that uh, legislation and part of that program. So in, since 2012, uh, families have been able to get a double electric breast pump through their insurance provider or through third-party companies um, through insurance, which has really changed the the whole dynamics of pumping. Prior to, I think in the 80s, Medela was the only company around. They still make a wonderful pump. They're still um, in the business. But there have been a lot of other pump companies that have come out as a result of this coverage so that families have the pump. They can, um, it's it's a tool. If you're unable sure. to feed at the breast or you choose to um, pump or not feed at the breast, the pump is a way for you to still be able to provide breast milk. It also makes that transition back to work or school much easier for the nursing parents. So if they want to continue to provide breast milk for that one to two years, then they have that tool that can help them do that. So there's lots of great pumps that are on the market. Um, 
right now that families have access to. And um, if anybody has questions about that, they can always reach out to the their lactation consultant or their hospital, and they'll help with that. As far as pumping to store milk away or make a freezer stash or introduce the bottle after delivery, the recommendations for that bottle introduction and starting to pump to store milk is to wait until breastfeeding is well established. For most families, that's about three to four weeks. Oh, okay. Um, families who are undergoing breastfeeding challenges, um, those booby traps I mentioned earlier, they might need to introduce pumping um, earlier than the three to four weeks because they're managing a breastfeeding situation, an infant feeding situation. But for families where breastfeeding maybe is a puppy dog and unicorn experience and everything's just wonderful, after they get that you know couple of weeks under their belt and they feel really good and confident with what's going on, then we'll talk to them about pumping to store some milk away. And and I think what you were alluding to is the when you're feeding the baby at the breast and then you're adding pumping into it, how do you do that without interfering with the feeding or mm -hmm. throwing off your schedule? So we usually ask moms to, you know, maybe take a look at their day, see what time of the day they make the most milk. It's almost always in the morning. I don't know what it is. Those nighttime hours are magical. There's lots of theories. Yeah, uh, why? <laughs> um, but usually we'll recommend going ahead and feeding the baby. And then um, if you want to go ahead and pump right after the feeding, you'll be able to pump that residual milk. And that can be the start of you um, getting a storage um, stash together. Interesting. And it's not something you have to do every day because, you know, I threw out before milk production is based on milk removal. So if we started pumping after every feeding or we started pumping after every morning feeding, we're establishing a new routine and your body's, your body's going to adjust. That supply is going to equal the demand. If we start asking for more milk, the body's going to make more milk. So we don't want to do, add more work to the, the nursing parent's load. We want to try to keep things really simple. So I usually recommend just pumping occasionally enough so that you can store that milk away, but you're not establishing this new routine that has to be maintained every day. Okay. Interesting. And then um, the milk that's stored can be used for all future feedings. We do recommend introducing a bottle around the same time that we recommend pumping because and for most families, we need to know there's another way to feed the baby when the nursing parent's not available. So that bottle introduction is important, and that has to be um, – we usually recommend doing it, again, occasionally mm -hmm. so that the baby keeps the skill up. I, I sometimes receive some frantic calls from parents who are returning to work who maybe did introduce the bottle at around three or four weeks, and now they're getting down to the wire where they're returning to work and they hadn't – kept that bottle as part of their routine or every now and I then see. giving it. And when you have that return to work date like looming over you and the baby's refusing a bottle, that can cause a lot of anxiety. Oh, yeah. Um, so for families who are in that situation, just know, you know, that's just another reason to reach out and get some help. But mm -hmm. um, you can imagine it makes the you're already anxious enough trying to figure out how to navigate new routines when you return to work and and finding a way to make sure the baby can feed is I found with that um the often just like changing the bottle or like the nipple, like this different brand or whatever. Like I think helps if only with me. it were that easy I don't know. for that was everybody. My experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly, uh -huh. yeah. Changing the bottle. The bottles are all the nipples are different sizes or shapes and flows. We usually recommend using whatever nipple works for the baby. Right. There is not one out there no. that looks like it's you not know, that nursing parents' yeah. Yeah, <laughs> nipples. So um yeah, you can experiment, but sometimes regardless of that experimentation and keeping with that slow flow, which is what we recommend. Babies still, um, there are still some babies who will struggle with um, going to the bottle. Okay. Hence the recommendation, I'll just repeat, you know, to introduce it a little bit earlier once breastfeeding is well established around that three to four week marker okay. and then doing it every now and then. Um, good to know. The, um, the word is escaping me now, but there are complications that can happen from breastfeeding. So if you are kind of in your routine and then you develop it, what is it? The um, mastitis. Mastitis. Yeah. Oh, that's it's, I'm so glad you asked about that because um, the new mastitis guidelines came out last summer mm -hmm. and they're just kind of trickling down out and disseminating out into the real world. So um, mastitis is just a really fancy name for breast inflammation. 
So when mothers are nursing, are expressing milk, if they experience breast inflammation, that tissue surrounding the ductal system in the breast gets swollen and then the milk uh, does not drain as easily. So the ducts are super fragile. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. I don't know how much detail I yeah, should go yeah, in no. without like your, your I'm eyes glazing over here. No. So inside the breast, there's um, glandular tissue. This is where the milk is made. Mm -hmm. And then the glandular tissue connects to the ductal system, which then connects to the nipple. And that's how the milk leaves the glandular tissue, goes through the ductal system and gets to the baby. So when the tissue is all inflamed in the breast, those ducts are really fragile. They get compressed and then the milk doesn't drain. Mm -hmm. And then the breast gets more inflamed and then it can cause um, some pain for the mother, some redness in the area where it's not draining. Sometimes her breast might feel hot or tender to the touch. And if those symptoms are worsening or not uh, resolving, then antibiotic therapy might need, be needed. So I the see. treatment guidelines is um, to reduce the inflammation um, by maintaining the schedule that the mother's either nursing or, or expressing her milk on, and then utilizing ice packs and ibuprofen to reduce the inflammation. Oh, you can take that. Okay. Yeah, ibuprofen is um, a Motrin or Advil. Mm -hmm. It's not recommended during pregnancy, but it is kind of the drug du jour, provided the nursing parents are able to take it to manage any um, postpartum pain. Okay. And also for breast pain as well. But it's going to, it um, serves as an anti inflammatory. So it helps with the pain, but it's also reducing the inflammation, which is why it's usually preferred over the Tylenol. Okay. Now, if a parent dives into the internet rabbit hole, this is where the internet's wonderful. We definitely have a lot more information at our fingertips than we did when my kids were little, but it can also complicate things uh, when you're looking for some quick answers. Totally. So there's a lot of information about using heat or massage to manage mastitis that you'll still find on the internet. And in those cases, you know, if it's just a, a like a warm shower prior to expressing or a warm washcloth on the breast prior to um, feeding the baby or pumping, that's probably not going to do uh, much damage. But if it's excessive heat and excessive massage, then it makes the tissue inflammation so much worse. And a lot of times we'll meet families who have um, gotten that information either online or from friends or family. And then it's it's a much longer process to get that inflammation to resolve. Okay. And then when, if it does progress, um, is it true that you can't nurse during that time frame? No. Um, so nursing, maintaining that schedule of either feeding at the breast or pumping is what we would want you to you, do. You do. Okay. It's so part it's the of the solution oh, so that you can get okay. that milk out. Because if the milk is sitting there um, and it's not leaving the breast, the breast gets more and more inflamed. And then the mother runs the risk of uh, an infection needing antibiotic therapy or even a, a, an abscess where the milk comes out. Um, on the breast in a different area. Oh, It wow. surfaces, and that's really painful, and, and it's not something we would want any nursing parent to experience. Wow. Oh, my gosh. It's very rare because we can manage it and caress, uh, correct it. Um, according to Casey Leahy, um, I really do think like every parent, nursing parent, should know how to manage mastitis. And I think 95 to 98% of the time with just maintaining that nursing schedule, our pumping schedule, and ice packs and ibuprofen, we can turn those um, bad boy situations around really easily and avoid any need for antibiotic. Okay. Um, what is, are there guidelines? Is this, I don't even know how I would phrase this. The um, If you're not nursing, but you want your child to have breast milk, is it safe to get breast milk from other people that store it? How does that work? What, are the, what is it even called? That's it, There's two names for it. So I'm going to um, talk about donor milk, donor milk. Um, yeah, um, pasteurized first. So in the U.S., we've got um, milk banks that are part of the North American Human Milk Banking Association. Mm -hmm. And these are sites that um, follow specific guidelines for pasteurizing milk. They The, the milk they get is donated. They're, they're not purchasing milk. There's no ethical issues involved. So if you were a mother who had a really large supply and you weren't going to be using this milk, you might choose to donate to one of these nonprofit organizations. 
And then they go ahead and they pull the milk together, they process it, they pasteurize it, and, and then it's usually used for our most vulnerable populations. So right now in here in New Jersey, um, a lot of our donor milk is used in the NICU setting. So at Hackensack University Medical Center and Jersey Shore University Medical Center, we have level three neonatal facilities. So we use donor milk for those vulnerable babies because we do recognize the health benefits and the nutritional benefits of the of the breast milk. Do they have to test it first for like anything that might not be getting it from that milk bank means that testing has already been done, okay, which is really a, a great way to um, you know look at that all the testing's done it's safe it's ready to use we do uh, get consent from parents it's parents choice to use it but i'll be honest most uh, most families want to use that donor milk they want it available i'd love to see a day where we've got donor milk available for any family that needs it we did pass legislation here in new jersey i think it was back in 2019 that covers the cost of donor milk use for families including our medicaid families as far as that legislation is in place, but the the actions really haven't, you know, we, we're still working on implementing that legislation mm -hmm. um, to make bread donor milk available for families who need it. Okay. And so it's a work in progress, but it's ex exciting to think about. Like, I'd love to see a day um, where, you know, for families, even in, it, you had talked about your uh, son having jaundice. Mm -hmm. Was it? Yep. So in a hospital situation, when something like that arrives, uh, arises, we know that feeding the baby is a way to help clear the bilirubin from the baby's body. Oh. So for families who want to breastfeed, um, they can feed at the breast. But if we needed to medically supplement the baby along with those feedings at the breast and breast milk wasn't available, then formula is our next option. Mm -hmm. If we had donor milk, though, that would give the family another choice. Okay. Um we um, talked about how um, uh, donor banks, right, or milk banks um, oh, exist, yeah. um, where it, I know also like some people like sell their milk and like kind of it's almost like a street type of thing. Is that I like, yeah, okay. yeah. so is that, Different. Um, is that legal? Like, is that like accepted within the breastfeeding community? Like, how does that all kind of work? Because I'm, I'm assuming it hasn't been tested. So it's a great question. So that's called informal milk sharing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, if we go back in time, you know, the idea or the concept isn't new. It's like you know, milk maids, right? Yeah, milk yeah, maids? yeah, yes, yes. So um, the concept is is not new, but talking about it in here in like our society today, I'm going to give you like the on-the-record response and then the off-the-record uh -huh. response. Yeah. So the on-the-record response from a healthcare provider is that that's not pasteurized milk. And um, there are um, home pasteurization methods that parents might implement but it's not going through any testing. You don't know where the milk is coming from. Um, sometimes you might be finding these connections on Facebook or other social media sites. And, um, and, and that can get a little tricky. Mm -hmm. They did a study a few years ago looking at the donor milk and testing it. The study was a little flawed because um, the milk was, they were asking for the milk and um, offering payment for it. And then it was being shipped and it wasn't being shipped oh, properly. Geez. So you can imagine like that was, you know, when they did the testing was not whatever, safe, right? yeah. uh, uh -huh. safe breast milk. But for local groups, uh, I can speak with just what I'm aware of is happening. Um, families often connect with other parents in their own community, um, and, and that's how the informal milk is um, the exchange is happening. Okay. My off-the-record response is, um, in some cases, those organizations um, on Facebook and other social media sites might be doing a better job at getting donor milk to families than um, than other options. Got it. Okay. And we need to recognize that the families are interested in that, whether they're families who are adopted, uh, same-sex couples. Right. Um, here we're talking about breast milk being best for the baby. And if they don't have a way to get breast milk for their babies and they're choosing to use that, instead of formula, then we need to provide better options for them. Okay. It's not an unlimited resource, so uh, there is going to, you know, that issue has to be uh, kept in mind. But for families who are interested in 
excuse me, donating, um, you can find information about the Human Milk Banking Association of North America online, and the donation process is really easy. You can call, they'll talk you through it. There is some blood work that's needed. A lot of times that's already been drawn by the obstetrician, so it uh, should be available to the parents, and then they arrange for shipping. Uh, the cost for the donation um, for the person donating is nothing. And then the, um, the milk is processed and then dispensed uh, according to need by the facility. Oh, wow, that's incredible. Um, let's talk about formula. Okay. Um, I, when I had, uh, keep, keep uh, referencing my son, I have a daughter too, um, who I also nursed, but it was a different time. I did not nurse her as long, actually. I only did it up until my maternity leave, which was 12 weeks. So, um, and then I introduced formula. Um, I think back in both situations, there was really only two companies um, who provided formula at the time. Now I, I'd assume, I think there's many more. You um, assume wrong. Oh, there's it, not. That's one of the reasons why the um, the formula shortage a few months ago was such a, a big conundrum. Okay. There's only three big companies in the United States that make formula. And then, Abbott Labs, um, oh, I see. Mead okay. Johnson, and Nestle. Okay. So when we look at formulas, um, for example, a Target or Costco might have Kirkland. their formula, Kirkland, they're made by one of the three companies, which was such a nice life lesson for those who were maybe brand dependent prior to this formula shortage. What we want family, what we wanted families to know during that is if you had a brand allegiance and you were unable to find that brand, that you should have, you know, be looking for other infant-based formulas because the caloric content of that infant-based formula is standardized. That's part of the um, the the FDA regulations, and it's standardized to match the caloric content of the breast milk. So we really wanted families, you know, to f use what they could find and and um, and that it was sufficient, not just because of the label, basically. Correct. Got correct. It. Okay. Um, so, what have, have there been advancements in formula, um, and are they able to replicate a lot of you know what the the health benefits of um, of breast milk, um, and you know do you see that changing at all in terms of you know what um, would be accessible to parents had they you know decide not to breastfeed. Good questions. Um, I think when it comes to breastfeeding and breast milk and uh, women's health, mm -hmm. we are just at the tip of the iceberg. We haven't, you know, this is a relatively new field in healthcare. Um, even though that might be surprising for people to hear, like we're just starting to do a lot of research and learn all about these things. Mm -hmm. So in regards to is formula like breast milk? No, it's not. It's completely different. However, it's your best alternative. Like if you are choosing not to breastfeed or you run into any of those challenges that we kind of alluded to earlier, formulas is what should be used. So I, when I'm talking with new families, I really want to hone in on that. Like formula um, should be used if we need it. Mm -hmm. If a baby is unable to feed at the breast or the mother is um, pumping and either doesn't have enough breast milk or doesn't hasn't expressed breast milk yet, formula should be used. Bef and that those are our two options. Right. Um, sugar water, sterile water, those things, babies don't need that. That's not nutritionally going to be helpful for them. Okay. The formula is designed to meet the nutritional needs of the baby mm -hmm. and should be used without hesitation when we need it. Um, the composition, that's where the magic happens with the breast milk. Like there's all these, it's a live culture. There's like white blood cells. There's lots of benefits. We've been unable to duplicate that in the formula, but we can duplicate the calories and again, you know, make, design a product that's safe for infants to feed. Got it. Um, this thought just crossed my mind about breast milk. And I don't know if I saw it in a movie or something I saw on social media, but that it's like, you know, we, we, we all know that the colostrum itself, they say it's like liquid gold, right? There's like an incredible health that benefits just in that, that first, like I guess, day or two of nursing. Um, but breast milk itself, um, some women, I like I've seen that they put it on like babies, like cuts and like different, different things. And it like, is like a miracle, like healer. Is that true? 
Yeah, it, it's I, I forget what um, brand. I think it's like some hot sauce, and they're like, you can put that on yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, kind of how people look at like right. breast milk. You can put that on anything. Oh, your eyes a little red. Put some breast milk in there. You got a little right, rash. Right. Put some breast milk on it. Yeah. So breast milk, going back to that live culture component, it's got antibacterial and antifungal properties. So it, we do kind of tout it as like this magical substance. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff um, that. I'll talk a little bit about the colostrum. So uh, some parents don't know, like, you start making milk really early on during your pregnancy. Your body's preparing for um, for the baby, mm -hmm. preparing to feed the baby. And all of this is happening whether the parent is choosing to breastfeed or not. If we have a mother that delivers early um, and delivers a premature baby, that that breast milk and the composition of that milk is very different than a parent's uh, who deliver at 40 weeks or full term. The breast milk that is made earlier on is designed, the body knows the baby came early and it's got different compositions in it to help that premature infant. Wow. So it's like really magical when you think about like it's it's not the same food every feeding. It changes all the time. Um there's this, some newer research that came out that um, talks about like the communication between the baby and the breast. So we know that the breast milk is that passive immunity, like it's helpful, it helps to booster the immune system of the baby. But what we didn't realize and, we, and we're just learning about is that the baby also can communicate with the breast. So there's this idea that when the baby goes to the breast, their saliva might get into the ductal system. So if the baby was sick and was nursing, that composition of the breast milk changes wow. because of the communication with the baby. So I, that's just so cool. And and how it happens, um, you know, is not understood at this point in time. It's it's just you know something they're investigating. I'm hoping that we're going to learn more about it as time goes by. Wow! But I just think that's so cool. That is very cool. Wow! Interesting. Um, can you breastfeed if you have implants? Yeah, so um, breast surgery is really common. Um, breast augmentation with implants or even um, breast reductions. A lot of women will make decisions um, to have either of those types of surgeries. So for the augmentation with the implants, most of the implants we're seeing now, especially because breastfeeding um Oh, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to yeah, I'll deviate. Yeah. Uh, most of the uh, surgical sites are under the muscle. So mm -hmm. it's under the breast. It goes under the muscle. It doesn't interfere with the nerval, nerve, nervous system um, coming into the breast or interfere with that glandular tissue that I talked about earlier. Gotcha. Okay. So I think a lot of our breast surgeons, especially if they're working with younger women, um, are going to keep that in mind when they do the augmentation. When we start to have a surgical incision that goes into the breast or around the areola or with the areola being removed or resized, that's where things can get a little trickier. But the advice we give any family who's had any type of breast surgery or biopsy is, um, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're going to jump right in just like we would with any other parent. And I think a lot of families are ple pleasantly surprised with the outcomes um, when with breastfeeding post-surgery. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Can do you have had to have been pregnant in order to produ produce breast milk, correct? No. No, I didn't think so. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. Okay. I know. So there's all these like really cool things. So um, we'll work with families who want to lactate. Mm -hmm. um, some of them want to relactate. Maybe they um, breastfed, they had some challenges, they might have made a decision to move to formula, and then later on want to go back to breastfeeding. So we call that relactation, and uh, we'll help families through that process so that they can help um, rebuild their milk supply. We've worked with families who maybe are adopting and uh, had children of their own and breastfed their own children. Now they're working with a new baby that they've adopted. That would be relactation as well. But and then if we've they've worked, never been pregnant, they, they can produce? And then we wow. work with families who adopt that have never had children of their own or never breastfed, and we can work with them as well. That's incredible. So it this incredible. can all be done at the center. Yes. Uh, and, okay. and, you know, it's not something that can only be done there. Your obstetricians are um, also great resources when you have questions like this. But okay. yes, we're very happy to help with that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the rates of breastfeeding and, and just because I feel like we missed that part about what's kind of changing here in the U.S. 
So back in the 1970s, uh, the rate of breastfeeding here in the U.S., any breastfeeding, families initiating breastfeeding and all, was 25%. Wow. I know. that's that It's it, we were very much a bottle feeding culture mm -hmm. in the 1970s. And now here we are, and uh, the rates of breastfeeding nationwide right now are about 83 to 85%. Um, I can speak with our area. We track these trends monthly uh, at Jersey Shore. A rate of initiation for families who are coming in to deliver is 90% of our families want to breastfeed to some degree. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting. It really shows that, you know, things have changed and um, that's really wonderful. But when do those rates drop off? That's the, that's the <laughs> conundrum. So here, everybody's gotten the message. You know, we've right. got our recommendations. We've talked about breasts being best. And, you know, that message is really wonderful. And families got it. They, mm -hmm. they, they're making that decision to do it. But what's really important is that, and this is where the work still needs to be done, we can recognize that the rate of supplementation, uh, introducing, introducing formula supplementation, the rates of exclusivity, um, and the rates of any breastfeeding change right after birth. So 85% um, of the families want to breastfeed. And then by six months of life, that exclusivity rate is about 23%. Interesting. It's interesting because I just got through earlier saying the recommendation is to exclusively breastfeed for six months. And e we track the rate of even formula introduction in the hospital for non-medical reasons. And sometimes that can be high as well. So we've got to like dive into like why we, we have the recommendation, but we're not seeing those numbers where we need them to be. And that's where... Um, that's where the work really needs to be done. And then different movements like the um, Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. I don't know how f how familiar you are with that. No. It's an international program that really focuses on evidence-based strategies that normalize breastfeeding and offer better support for families. So it, in the hospital setting, we focus on different strategies that we know will improve outcomes. So mm -hmm. one of those things is um, to put babies skin to skin immediately after delivery. When we put them in, in, on that um, birthing parent's chest, it's for medical reasons. Like, first of all, it will help for the baby to transition, um, stabilize their heart rate, their respiratory rate, their blood sugar, and their temperature. So they're coming out from that womb, which can be, you know, 98 degrees. And here they're in, you know, in the delivery room, which can be quite cold. Mm -hmm. Putting them on that nursing parent's chest helps them regulate their temperature and then um, just makes the, the transition to life outside the womb much easier. The mother and the father or just the mother? So it, it's so cool. With the mother, um, it, both parents can warm the baby up. Um, both parents are warm. Mm -hmm. But for the mother, um, not only will her body, te her body temperature will increase if the baby is cold. Mm -hmm. And it will decrease if the baby is too warm. Wow. I know. That's, that's so cool, right? <laughs> yeah. So they've done studies on that. And I'm always like, that's so awesome. So the um, the parent, the partner, the non-birthing parent, they will be able to warm the baby, but they don't have that same um, decreasing the temperature if the baby gets too warm. Interesting. So, And it makes them better feeders. So uh, regardless of the parent's feeding choice, that skin to skin is always recommended. And then introducing, if uh, the family has chosen to breastfeed, introducing breastfeeding as soon as possible, usually within that first hour of life is the recommendation. Babies are really awake, they're alert, they're interested. Okay. So we like to go ahead and help them um, initiate that first feeding. Wow. And then we keep families together. Um, we call it rooming in. It's just a, a nice way of saying family-centric care. You know, when a family comes into the hospital, they're with us for such a short amount of time. And um, they've got a lot to learn. Like maybe they've taken classes, but holding the baby, changing them, burping them, feeding them. These are all things that they, we really want them to feel comfortable with before they head home. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And you've got 24-7 support in the hospital. So you should take advantage take of it, it while yeah, you're there. That's right. Um, we didn't talk about um, what are there guidelines and what you're allowed to eat? I know obviously drugs, any type of medication you should um uh, you know, ask your physician, but in terms of um, any nutritional guidelines, has that changed? Are there like more strict guidelines about what you're allowed to eat? Um, uh, is it true that like if you eat spicy food, the baby, you know, the breast milk spicy? Um, what, what do you think about all of that? Um, the diet recommendation is 
there there isn't any food that no. I would say you have to restrict. Um, certainly alcohol. I think you know we'll just start there. Alcohol is not recommended for pregnant families. Um, for recommendations for breastfeeding. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have opened with that, but I'm going to go. I'm going to no, finish no, my thought. No, a lot of women ask, ask about right? it. Yeah, so, the pump and dump, right? Oh, I'll just pump right. and dump or whatever. Is that true? Can you do that? Or So if the recommendations for the last four decades have been, um, you know, if you're having one beer, one glass of wine, one small drink, it's not considered to be a contraindication with breastfeeding. If you exceed that amount, then the recommendation would be um, to pump and discard the milk until you're no longer intoxicated. So if you can't right. drive... You shouldn't be Nursing. offering the yeah the breast milk. Um, if for families who attend an event who might exceed that more than one glass and they've pumped and discarded their milk, even the next morning they may not feel so good. They may be a little hungover, especially if they haven't had a drink for yeah nine for, months <laughs> yeah nine ten months. Um, we always remind them, you know, alcohol is not stored in the breast milk. Once it leaves the bloodstream, it's no longer in the body. But as far as diet's concerned, like I think a lot of people are surprised to learn, like I don't recommend any specific uh, elimination for any family. You know, eat whatever you normally eat. The baby's been exposed to a lot of those things in the womb anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So, no, spicy. There's a lot of um wives tales mm -hmm. about um, breastfeeding and parenting stuff. But spicy foods, um, you know, I remember, gosh, this is embarrassing. Maybe I shouldn't tell this story, <laughs> but I'm going to tell it. I went home. We were going home with my first uh, son, uh, Connor, who is now 26 years old. Aww. And we stopped for lunch on the way home. I know it's strange. It's like just had a baby. We left the hospital. I was starving. And so we went out and I ordered... Um, broccoli and cheese, uh, broccoli cheddar soup. And my husband was like looking at me and the waiter's standing there. And he's like, Casey, are you sure you want to order that? And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course I want to order. He goes, what about the gas? Uh, and I'm like, oh gosh, Ray, can you be any more embarrassing? Like, no, that's fine. Like you can right, eat right. or drink. He was so concerned. He had heard broccoli wasn't good for a breastfeeding parent that the oh. baby would be gassy. I'm like, but it's no, not true. That's no. not true. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so all these things, like I, I think, you know, you might have a situation where you eat something and the baby gets gassy, but it's most likely it's just a big quinky dink then. Okay. Then anything pass else. It along. Oh, yeah. that's so interesting. There are situations, I'm going to call them rare situations, where we do have to adjust the mother's diet based on um, symptoms that the baby will display. And I'm going to go back to your situation with the colic behavior, the gassy behavior. One of the th things we might have experimented with is, was there something in the maternal diet that was causing those symptoms? Mm -hmm. And I like to look at those issues as more of a, a sensitivity than an allergy. You know, sometimes um, dairy might be very hard for a baby to process. So if the mother eliminates uh, dairy and soy from her diet, maybe we'll see those symptoms go away. I see. If we suspect that there is a dairy intolerance or milk protein allergy, um, then certainly we would uh, not be able to use the infant formula, which is a dairy-based product. So for infants who do have a milk protein allergy that's been identified or diagnosed, then we'll use a hypoallergenic formula for them. Oh, interesting. Okay. We talked about the support group that is yep. offered in Monmouth County. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, it's my very favorite thing that I do. So we've got um, two support groups at Jersey Shore that um, have been around for a long time. We've got a new moms group that meets every Tuesday, and we've got a breastfeeding support group, the Bosom Buddies Breastfeeding Support Group that meets on Thursdays. Both of these groups are virtual. We moved to a virtual platform um, with our prenatal education and our support groups and when COVID hit. And we found that a lot of our parents um, are able to attend because we've kept them virtual. So if families don't live in our area, if they um, can't get out of the house easily, if they've just had a cesarean uh, delivery and they want to connect with other parents and with a healthcare provider who can answer questions, you know, we really encourage them to join. It's such a great um, opportunity for them to connect with each other. So they're uh, parent-led groups. They they pick the discussion. Oh. They we talk about any issues that they have um, in the breastfeeding support group. We always joke that you know breastfeeding brought us together, but we end up talking about a lot of other things oh, other than breastfeeding. I love that. And then we'll have guest speakers come in um, occasionally throughout the year 
to talk about different topics that um, the parents are interested in. And where is it held? Did you say that? So it's virtual. So oh, it's virtual. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yep. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's great. That's so much more convenient <laughs> yeah. to go somewhere. If, if families are interested in like learning more about the support group or getting the number for the center, we also have a lactation warm line, which is available 24-7. That's manned by uh, our nurse lactation consultants. So for families who have any infant feeding question, whether it's breastfeeding related, or formula feeding, we really encourage them to call us. Okay. Is there a way that we can share the yeah? So we'll the link, numbers. Yeah. Okay. So we'll link um, the numbers and the um, the link to the center. Okay. Oh, um, right. Thank you so much for coming on today. This has been incredible. I've learned a lot, um, and I hope that you know a, a lot of the mo- the parents listening are um, you know getting some type of. Um, uh, you know, feeling a little bit better about the situation, right? That there's help out there, that there's support, and that no matter you know where you are in your breastfeeding journey, that um, you know that there is uh, help available to you. Uh, if moms wanted to make an appointment, um, do they call? Do they go on the website? It's always better to call. Okay. Uh, we do have a website, but I think the the response is more timely when you call. Okay. So our center for breastfeeding is open Monday through Friday. Okay, got it. Um, so I'll link all of that there so they can uh, have all that information. And um, as always, we'll link the Hackensack Meridian Children's Health site too, so you can just uh, find out what other resources are available to you. Okay. Thank you again. This has been great. Thank you, um, uh, hopefully, lot moms will. Uh, learn a little bit today because I learned a lot and now I will spread the word. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Um, Coming up, we have our um, 2023 back to school guide that just came out. Um, We have extracurricular activities on there. We have where to shop. Um, Even if uh, your kids are already back in school, but I'm sure they're, you know, saying, oh, I need this. I need new jeans. And then the weather's changing. So we have all kinds of boutiques in there, local boutiques of where to shop for kids, um, for tweens, for teens, for littles, um, malls, uh, all kinds of places to go. Uh, Tutoring centers are in there. We also have the list of preschools and private schools. Um, So all things back to school in um, on our list and guides page. Um, Coming up also, we have our make sure you're registered for our fall festival happening on Sunday, October 22nd um, at Bellworks in Homedale, New Jersey. We have a full kid zone. We have really cool touch a truck. I um we added thank you to the Monmouth County Public Works um, Department. They are bringing some very cool trucks this time, um, excavators and all kinds of digging devices. Always popular, they touch a track. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So very cool things that we're adding to that. Um, We also have vendors coming. It's a week before Halloween. Come in costume. There'll be candy. There'll be food. We do have Barbella open again, so um, you can get a a cocktail if you'd like. We have some fall, um, like a fall menu we put together. And shop early for the holidays because that'll be right around the corner. So we have really cool vendors. You can do some early Christmas shopping and um, just enjoy a really nice community day. It's always fun. Hopefully the weather's great. Um, It will be. (laughs) I was here for your last event, and it was wonderful. And the vendors were great. There are lots of good gift options for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the springtime one was good. Um, So uh, that's coming up. And as always, look to us for all things that you'll need as we head into the fall. Um, um, Grab-and-go options for food, um, healthcare resources, obviously, and everything in between to help you through motherhood. Thank you so much. Have a great day, everyone.